This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Seventy-one of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzka, as always, and I'm joined by two guys for this show. As we are here to talk about Borussia Dortmund and their game against Mainz and preview the matches against Leipzig and the cup game against Hertha Berlin. And for that, join me once again, Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. That is very nice and uh, good to hear that you are doing well and also here. Lewis Ambrose, can we say from one football, Lewis? <laughs> yeah, you can. That's, yeah, of course you can. Hello. All right. Then we have here one football's Lewis Ambrose. <laughs> good evening. Well, it's not the evening for you, but it is for me. So good evening. Well, when, whenever you listen to the show, some listen it in their morning commute, others while doing the dishes or cleaning the house. Or going for a run. So yeah, good evening to you, Mr. Ambrose. Uh, I hope you're doing as fine as Matthias. Yeah, I'm pretty um, well. Thanks. That is good. That is good. I, I heard uh, Arsenal lost. Yeah, that <laughs> that happens from time to time. Um, yeah. We're all used to it by now. All right. That is good. But uh, yeah, Dortmund also did not cover themselves in glory exactly. A 1-1 draw uh, lead that was lost in the... Uh, 83rd minute by Daniel Latza header, but uh, yeah, let's dive right into it and start from the beginning. Um, Matthias Mario Götze once again excluded from the bench, and I think it was around 10 minutes before the game, or maybe even 20, when I started to read the first headlines popping up, making a huge drama of Götze being omitted from the squad. How big of a drama is it actually? Uh, who knows these days with the media? I mean, um, I don't think it's much of a drama. He saw it as a, maybe a chance to, to rest him. I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, I think when it comes to teams, uh, not called Bayern, uh, the press likes to make things more dramatic than they really are. <laughs> I have a hunch it's, that's not actually true. I feel like the, the press world around Bayern Munich also tries to make things overly dramatic. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, go ahead. No, I, I just, I don't think there's anything overly dramatic. I don't, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. All right, Luis, are you bothered? And, and, uh, maybe we can talk why he's actually not in the, in the team. No, I'm, well, firstly, no, I'm not because we have a pretty big squad. It's, Players will miss out from time to time. Now we have Schuller, Kroos and Aubameyang all available for the first time this season. So Dembele won't play sometimes. Pulisic will play less. It's not uh, as big a thing as I think it's trying to be made out. Gertz has come in and he's played pretty well, especially towards the end of the Hinawunda. Um And he won't play every single game. Guerrero is back in midfield. So 
well, he was back. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, so no, there's it's not a big thing. And as I know, Lars has been saying about other stories that the Alexander Isaac signing and stuff like that. If Dortmund had an extra four, five, six points in the league, then things like this wouldn't really be being talked about so much. Yeah, that is true. And uh, I already talked to Matthias a little bit about him, or actually briefed him that I wanted to talk about the issue um at some point at this this podcast but why not now i mean Dortmund are not in their best shape league wise but uh, if i read what is written right now about Dortmund i have a hunch or i get the impression that the Dortmund uh, is very close to uh yeah closing the gates um lewis <laughs> how how bad is it really and and is the uh, criticism on on Tuchel and and the uh let's say, distorted relationship that is apparently there between Tuchel and uh, the others, meaning Watzke and Sorg and maybe even some players. Is, is it really as bad as it's reported? I mean... I don't think any of us can say for sure whether it's as bad as some reports are trying to make out. Um, but I think we can all agree that if the team had... Not, not even if the team was performing better. That's something I want to make quite clear, that there's the difference between having more points and actually playing better. Look at the Mainz game, for example. Dortmund let in. It wasn't a big, big chance. It wasn't a horrific performance. That's a game that Dortmund would play another five times and win three after scoring so early. Um, and also the fact that if you if you swap the goals around, if Mainz take the lead in three minutes and Dortmund equalise with three minutes to go, then was it seven minutes to go then suddenly the the whole mood would be so different but unfortunately the result and the manner in which the points were dropped so late makes it so much easier for a sort of disaster headline to be sold and then with that's what we see again but i don't think by any means the performances are horrific then they're obviously not ideal but they're not absolutely disastrous and it feels like every little thing is being blown way out of proportion right now matthias is this uh the result of dortmund becoming a bigger club in in germany like the second biggest and, and more being more recognized that uh headline a disastrous headline as lewis just said uh, you know can be sold actually germ you know countrywide instead of just in Dortmund? Well, I mean, I don't think it's Dortmund becoming that. Dortmund has been that um, for the last 25 years, really, since Otmar Hitzfeld came there and we had the big success in the 90s and then another tick there in the early 2000s and then obviously the Klopp and now Tuchel era. So, I mean, naturally, um, they will be a, a target of this when they are, as, as Lewis said, when the results aren't perfect um i think going along <laughs> that uh, you know you having more points doesn't mean you're playing better i mean frankfurt have a point more i wouldn't say they play better than dortmund they just have a point more um pep guardiola even said results are secondary to him over performances you can get a good result and perform poorly or you can not get a result but perform well uh, it's more about the performance and, and how you build upon that. And I think that's kind of the case for Dortmund. That's definitely the case with the Mainz match, which we'll get into obviously a little bit more detail in a little bit. But 
I think it it plays into the um, climate of sensationalist media coverage um, that isn't just concentrated on Dortmund and sports. I think it's the general media landscape right Matt, right now is much more about the sensationalist, the louder, uh, where the headline is bigger than the story. Uh, in all walks of life right now, because we like to polarize and over-emotionalize arguments and topics in, in life, politics, as well as in sports. And I think Dortmund are part of that. And, and uh, when there's a chink in the armor of a bigger club, you go after it all guns blazing. I mean, it's, it's just look at Liverpool. Right now in England, it's the same thing. You get a few bad results and bam, it's all falling to pieces, you know, and, and it's not, you know, I think we'll, we'll secure at least third, if not second, still not going to win the championship. I think Bayern are going to win it, but, uh, <laughs> <Hot take. laughs> uh, you know, I, I think, no, I, I think it's just the, the media landscape we live in and, and we know that the media, is never the German football media in general, like the, the mainstream ones, the bigger ones, uh, likes to shoot against Dortmund. That's, that's always been that way. It's been that way for over 20 years, and it's not going to change. Yeah, I, and I think on top of that, there's um, maybe with the, the sort of interna internationalization of the Bundesliga as well, then the, the media are almost setting you up for a fall. If you're... If you're having the very emotional, the over-the-top headlines, um, firstly, we had obviously the back-to-back -back titles, the Champions League success, all coming at a, a particular moment, all coming in a rush, really. And then Dortmund, Dortmund didn't proclaim themselves as the biggest club in Germany or the club that will be with Bayern every single year, but was sort of anointed that by everyone else. Um, circumstances means. Players have had to leave. Players have had to be sold. The club hasn't had much of a say, ultimately, in decisions to sell a lot of key players. And then the situation with Klopp leaving. Obviously, Kicker could never print an article saying that there was a big divide between Wotzka and Zork and Klopp because everyone knew it wouldn't be true. Uh, now you can sell that story. So they have a chance to sell it now. And now the media have appointed Dortmund the team that has to win almost every week, just like Bayern and keep up with Bayern. And then those expectations have been passed around and now Dortmund are being slaughtered for not meeting the expectations that they haven't even set for themselves. Well, I would slightly disagree. I think they have set for themselves the expectations of at least making the top three. Which they will. Um, I mean, which, which they will. Which currently is a I point mean, they're away, one point off, you know, it's it's not crisis exactly. Exactly. Um, that's that's kind of my point, is that Dortmund, people are acting as if Dortmund are 10 points from the Champions League, like two years ago, uh, as if this is a situation more like that. Like, this is really disastrous. Um, but right now, the team is one point behind Frankfurt. Frankfurt have to play, they played Leipzig away um, last week, like, two weeks ago almost. Um, and then in the, the Rukrunda, they have to play every single team away from home in the, I think, the top six. They they played all of them at home in the Hinrunda. There will be drop points there, without doubt. But people are acting like Dortmund have this horrific uh, Rukrunda ahead of them with 
10 points to make up and five places at least to make up like some sort of situation where it's now almost impossible to reach the top three whereas the club has said that that's the target they, they've never said that we will easily be in the top three every year and just because we're not one year um everything's on fire apparently well, they, i mean they even said this season would be more of a struggle they said that at the beginning of the season. They knew it. A lot of new players, a lot of young players. It will take time. We can't forget, 24 months ago, after 18 match days, we were dead last after losing to Augsburg. Okay? So people just have to honestly chill out. I mean, it is yeah. not... I mean, if you look at other teams where crisis is definitely the name of the game, Hamburg... Bremen, Wolfsburg, Schalke, They're definitely. Schalke, Schalke are 11th. Yeah, and, and, but then what gets lost is the fact that Freiburg are 8th. That's huge. That's a great achievement, but nobody even talks about that. And part of it also has to do that Leipzig are 2nd, but, you know, they're not an actual promoted team in that sense. Not, not like a Freiburg is. So it, it's, too much, and obviously Kika seems to, this was a few years ago, Klopp actually said this in a documentary, uh, Trina, where he said it seems that the Kika is trying to emulate and get closer to the Bild, Sportbild, rather than the Sportbild trying to get emulate and get closer to Kika. And I think that's just the media landscape we live in these days. And Dortmund, you know, they have to suck it up like big boys and deal with it. Yeah, I think the same is also happening with more lo local newspapers like Ruhrnachrichten. Yeah. Uh, yeah, know, it I seems often to read be. On, on, on Twitter that they are getting very close to build. Now, I'm not always reading their content just because, you know, I don't. <laughs> it's not always that interesting that their articles aren't always packed with information. So, um, you know, I usually only read the relevant stuff to inform myself. But, um, I mean, there, there have been a couple of stories coming out. I think the most recent was, um, about Tuchel not knowing, uh, about the transfer of Alexander Isak. We already, we already said a couple of things about that, uh, on, on the last episode. But, um, Matthias, I, w I wanted to have your two cents on, on that as, as well. Um, because Tuchel also said that he, he neither did know about them, the Dembele transfer and, and more, uh, you know, almost before it happened. But Dortmund were obviously showing interest in Dembele a very long time be before he joined Dortmund. Um, and then Tuchel actually came out after all these stories and had his little press conference, let's say, with, with the media, which usually never happens unless it's a match day press conference where he has to attend. So um, is this something where we can actually read something in to it? Or is is this just, you know, more drama than, than it actually is? Uh, I think it's a little bit more drama than it actually is. I think the the statements about, you know, Dembele and, you know, not knowing it just before, I I think there's a potential that he misspoke in the sense of he obviously he knew Dortmund wanted him. We We knew Dortmund wanted him. But maybe he didn't know that, oh, well, it's being signed and done right now. We, we got it, we got it sorted. Uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting to me because this never really seems to pop up with anybody else. And I don't know how much the, and I'm going to use a different term than manager, how much the head coach, because that's what 
the manager is in Germany. It's the head coach. I think the term manager coming out of the English language, of course, coming from English football, is a completely antiquated term. Um, and it, it's more a manager of the game, not manager of the club. Kind of like in baseball, it's a manager of the game, not a manager of the club. So I, I think it's being a little bit uh, over-dramatized. I, I think Tuchel isn't helping himself by those statements, but Tuchel has never really helped himself with his public <laughs> image when it comes to statements. And, you know, he's not Klopp. You know, he's he's a <laughs> lot more, I mean, he's he's like a, a, a little bit friendlier Bill Belichick in the sense of he does the press conferences and talks to the media because he has to. Uh, Klopp does it because he wants to. Okay, Klopp enjoys that, uh, that interaction. And Tuchel isn't that kind of guy. And I can see him also, if you look at it internally, I'm, I, I'm fairly comfortable in saying that he's probably not the easiest person to work with because of the type of personality he seems to be. But I still don't think there's anything really bad going on there. Lewis, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you were going to say, but I will ask you, uh, do you think Tuchel lacks a bit of self-awareness with uh, the consequences that his statements have? Um, maybe. I I think Tuchel, there are, it feels like there are certain environments where he's laid back and he's fun. And, you know, there was this, this silly video, the, 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 quiz, the quiz taxi, and he had the time of his life. By the looks of it, and and Nobby Nobby Dicko asked, he said Dortmund have conceded the first goal in seven hundred and eight Bundesliga games, and before he could ask the question, Tuchel shouted from the back of the car, "Yeah, seven hundred and two of them under me." Um, like he is, this isn't. I think he's often painted as a very serious, deadpan guy, and I think he has got a sense of humor. He's human. Whether or not he helps himself in the media, I think I think he has a perception that doesn't help him. I think people have sort of decided what he's like, um, whether or not it's actually true all of the time or with as much regularity as we think. Um, and then I think with these comments that, frankly, he doesn't really care what people think of him, which may be a mistake at Dortmund, especially trying to follow Klopp, um, who is almost the complete opposite in terms of creating a a PR creating an image of himself to to fit in with everyone else or to fit with uh, the identity that everyone has or even help create that identity or reinforce it. Um, I think Tuchel, but you know, if he was trying to do that, if he was trying to be like Klopp, then everyone would be criticizing him because he's trying to be something he's not. I'd rather him be true to himself. He, he's not going to be Klopp in the way that Klopp was and mean as much to a lot of people or, feel the same connection to the people um so i wouldn't want him to to go out of his way what too much and be completely false i think yeah, i also don't know, you know how how grim glasses and a baseball hat would look at on <laughs> yeah yeah um not so sure myself um but you know he, thomas tuchel isn't Jürgen Klopp. it's thomas tuchel and i think largely maybe comments that come across as careless aren't careless as such more that he doesn't actually care uh what impact they have and the, the the quote on the more and dembele transfers is interesting and i personally i didn't see that reported as widely it was more you know crisis and drama 
about the the split or the the battle for power as as sport, the rift. Yeah, Sportbuild had the the big headline with three very dramatic pictures and and called it a battle for power in Dortmund. Um, this wasn't a power play by Sork or Vatska. This was a move where they saw a guy who could very strongly enhance the future of the club, so signed him. And also Tuchel confirmed he had the power to veto the transfer. So he said he said that some transfers are simply more driven by the by the club, by the backroom staff, the scouting team, and some are more driven by the coach. Andre Schuler would certainly be an example of that, and the scouting team and Mikhail Zork. We could give credit then for for Emre Moore or Usman Dembele, um, and now uh, Alexander Isak. And I don't see where that's a problem. It's not like a Tuchel has uh, has walked in and been told that Isak is definitely signed and he doesn't have a choice and he has to play him. That's not what this is. So that that's what I mean. Where I really think it's been blown out of proportion to quite a ridiculous extent. Yeah, but Thomas Tuchel has uh, Pep Guardiola as, as his role model. And uh, I think I've read a couple of times that Guardiola likes to plan the squad himself rather than have it planned for him. Do you think that Tuchel could be similar? And hence, uh, you know, it actually would make sense to assume that there could be a power struggle, which I personally don't see. But, you know, I think playing devil's ad advocate here. I definitely think Tuchel wants control over his squad. But I don't think his the scouting team are gonna sign are gonna find a really good player. Zork is gonna start making movements towards signing him. They're gonna show Vodka videos. Uh, sorry, they're gonna show Tuchel videos and give him the option to say no to a deal, and then they're gonna go and sign the guy anyway. And it's I don't, I don't think that's an 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 anti Tuchel thing from the club at all. And yeah, um, Pep Guardiola like you say, wants control over who is in or isn't in his squad. Um, but Joshua Kimmich was, for example, a player definitely signed by Mikhail Reschka, um and the, and the team there at Bayern. And Guardiola was perfectly fine. You know, he I, I doubt Guardiola was spending too much time in his first year in Germany preparing for Champions League and Bundesliga matches, watching Zweite Bundesliga as well, and seeing what he could find. Um, the, you know, he, he has enough to do. And I think Tuchel is the same. Tuchel has all of our games to rewatch in a, in a busy winter break where nobody's satisfied with the first half of the season. He has all of our games to watch. He has opposition games to watch, plans for training to work on, fitness coaches to, to meet with and see which player is where in their recovery or development. I don't think he has the time to watch Swedish league games, so someone has to watch them, someone has to find players, and then when that player is clearly very good and taken to him, and he says, yeah, sure, go ahead, sign him, then I don't see where there's any kind of issue, and I don't think he has an issue. All right, yeah, Alexander Isak is now also eligible to play for Dortmund as FIFA have uh, affirmed the transfer. Also, Mikel Merino moved into the Champions League squad for uh, Adrian Ramos. I think Lars Pormann will be very happy with that, <laughs> although we we hear every day a rumor of Merino trying to leave the club or wanting to leave the club as uh, there was a loan move to Cologne that didn't work out, but uh, yeah, Zubotic now at Cologne, obviously. Um, so now after talking about Tuchel and what he's actually working on, um, Matthias, it's obviously time to uh, rip him to shreds after dropping two points in Mainz. Uh, <laughs> after 20 minutes. 
of us talking, we could talk about the match. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, we, we, we already started more or less talking yeah. about the match, but then we digressed, you know. Yeah. As, as it sometimes happens. As, but, as we but, like yeah. to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go go ahead and uh, talk us through the game or your thoughts, your takeaways, whatever you want, Matthias. The stage is yours. Uh, the Yellow Wall Tangent Podcast. Um, you know, the match was a weird one, like I kind of said, because Dortmund, obviously they started well. I'd say the first half, it was all Dortmund all the time. And it was honestly... Not until Mainz equalized that I really felt Mainz posed a threat. You know, after that, uh, Donati had another really, really good cross uh, going into the back post, which even if it would have been brought on goal, there were two defenders and Buki right in the way. So it, it wouldn't have gone. It would have had been a miracle goal. But Mainz really didn't do much for the match. Uh, they weren't as destructive and negative as... Some of the other teams don't want us played against, but it really was the onus was on BFB to do something. And it's like and and there were a few good opportunities, nothing outstanding or amazing, but it was almost like that first goal came too fast, and um you could see players almost seeming like, well, you know, I mean it was so early, we still have so much time. Of course we're gonna score another couple of goals, you know, because we're better <laughs> and they were better and they did play better than Mainz. But it, they just kind of got complacent in the second half. And, um, I think it was, it's Tonali's cross, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to, uh, Latza. That it was an, it was a great cross. I mean, it was, it was a really, really good cross that is very, very difficult to defend against. So I don't really see anybody having done anything wrong positionally, uh, at that goal. I think. Well, the problem was more the. Well, I see that a bit different. Not, not, <laughs> not majorly. The problem isn't that goal. The problem is the 80 minutes preceding that goal, or let's let me rephrase it: the 42 minutes in the second half preceding that goal, where it just kind of, they were just kind of kicking the ball around. Both teams, in my opinion, it was it was weird. It was odd. It was kind of a flat match, and uh, Dortmund just. I don't, I'm not going to say they lost concentration. It was they were complacent. Lewis, um, when, when I look at the goal that Dortmund conceded and I look at Mr. Usman Dembele, I see the number on his shirt, which says seven. And I feel that's also the time it took for him to realize that he has to start backtracking in seconds. <laughs> and I got really upset with that from a sporting perspective that, uh, you know, if you want to more or less ride out the game and, and, Drake won the lead home, then at least you have to defend cohesively. And uh, I think that there is a positional error as, uh, you know, the uh, cohesiveness of the team lacked. And I think Schmelzer, I don't know how long it took until he wasn't uh, outnumbered by two Mainz players, but until Dembele came there to stuck his feet up and, and try to defend the cross, which obviously came way too late. Um, do you think that... Uh, this is a problem for Dortmund right now. I think we also saw it against Bremen that, uh, you know, a lot of players were heading forward, but not so much backwards in the, in the final minute or minutes more. Yeah. Tuchel actually spoke the other week about we have to be proud of our defensive game. We have to be proud of working hard and playing without the ball. Um, and so he obviously sees that as some kind of issue 
in from the Hinrunda, maybe something overlapping here. Dembele had a weird game off the bench. Uh, he's kind of was kind of ineffective, but um, without the ball, I don't I don't know if that was something symptomatic of Dortmund throughout the game. I think certainly in Bremen it was an issue. Uh, after half time, in particular, after the red card in particular. Um, lucky not to concede before we did and then we did concede and that looked like a kind of shaky game but I thought in Mainz that there wasn't actually too much of an issue I, out of everything I was reading on Twitter or from the, the journalists from Kika or uh, or whatever I personally, oh and the, the absolute crazy hysteria on Sky, of course, on Sky 90 straight after which I ill-advisedly didn't turn off instantly um (laughs) (laughs) i i think you know everything kind of spoke of uh, like as if the goal was inevitable or something and i i think overall to to actually try and answer your question that in mind it wasn't so much of an issue i I think in that one instance with dembele he didn't track back quickly enough schmelzer found himself caught with two options and Nobody engaged Ostenali on the ball quickly enough, but then still, it's a really wide position. It's not usually considered a very dangerous position to have a player on the ball, and Mainz also didn't have a huge threat in the box. Danny Latza is not a massive guy, but they they managed to get three guys at the penalty spot or to the back post, which was just difficult to defend I think it was good movement in the end from them a good play but overall I thought defensively we were pretty much fine for most of the game until the goal we looked shaky after the goal and there was only one team that was going to score a winner in the last five minutes or so and it definitely wasn't us but yeah that is probably another talking point but yeah yeah um but beyond that I uh the, the whole game is different if if there's a bit more decisiveness from Castro in the first half when he would goes through or kind of goes through and, and had some help, there was a, a header that was goal-bound from Aubameyang blocked and despite being a pretty poor performance, and I think Dortmund, I don't know if I'd call them a complacent like Matthias, I kind of feel like the team is lacking confidence right now and went 1-0 up and sort of didn't know what to do. They didn't know if they should try and protect the lead or if they should go for a second goal and ultimately it obviously cost us not to score a second goal but defensively I thought it was a pretty encouraging performance against a good team in a, a tough away game. Matthias, yeah. Lewis just said defensively an encouraging performance. Was that because it was actually an encouraging performance or just because Mainz didn't really pose a threat? Uh, six of one, half dozen of the other. Um <laughs> You know, I I think it's a combination of both. The test obviously is coming in the next match, um, without a doubt. And you know, Mainz they're still dealing with the fact that they don't have Mali. Um, I think you could see that. And uh, no Cordoba, no Cordoba. So yeah, I, I think uh, Dortmund played solidly. They they played well. It was not a bad performance. It just Sometimes you have those kind of matches. Yeah, I think we will all agree that the first 15 minutes were very encouraging. Uh, offensively, Dortmund seemed like they had the game under control. They 
they they won the the balls still i think in in mine's half more often than not or at least in in, in midfield in, in the middle third of the pitch and uh had had a good transition game going and uh i think when you have royce schule Aubameyang, and, and such that's what you would kind of expect and um schule said after the game that uh they thought that this was going well but then Mainz adjusted their game and, and started to lumping more balls forward uh, meaning they were playing over Dortmund's midfield and uh, Schüler said that uh, it meant that Dortmund had the ball more often but uh, also from a deeper position and were further away from goal um, Lewis I feel that Dortmund have a problem uh, when, with their own build-up play right now when they have to play the ball out of the back Tuchel not only said that they have to be proud of their defending, but also have to show more urgency with possession, meaning trying to create a threat. Um, if you see an issue there, where do you, or where would you point it out? I, I, you would hope that playing the ball with some urgency right from the back will improve now with Roman Burki back in the side. Beyond that, I think. The on the ball is one thing and off the ball is another. I feel like the baffling, frankly, exclusion of Felix Paslak, he's completely out of the squad. He's not even being considered by the looks of things from the outside for any place in the team at the moment. I find that really confusing um, because just on a physical level, not on just on a technical or decision-making level, he makes decisions, but he can carry them out his body can help him carry them out just way quicker than Lucas Piszczek is capable of now. And I feel like something's lacking dynamism. Uh, dynamism. Is that a word? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah th that's that's kind of lacking playing out. And I think it's even more important when your centre-backs aren't really delivering on the ball. It's not something Socrates is known for, let's say. It's something that Matthias Ginter is supposedly better at but isn't um at the moment mark bartra isn't in the team because his defensive performances have been awful so it would help to have his passing ability even though he had some really horrible touches in the winter but still his passing ability is much more probing than ginter's or socrates certainly socrates um and sven bender should have come back and managed to get injured again in the final friendly which would have been a huge, huge benefit for us to have him in the side right now. So it's it's not enough, but actually I'm not quite sure how we'd go about fixing it right now. It looked better in the friendlies against PSV, for example. It's helpful to have Guerrero back to Vi uh, next to Weigl again to sort of take some of the burden off his shoulders. It's It all becomes very predictable when Guerrero isn't there and Weigl is entrusted with everything in front of the back four. But, yeah, maybe bring Paslak into the side. Other than that, I'm not sure what we do, but it's definitely a big concern still. Well, as I said last week, I actually thought that the uh, plan Tuchel had and you also showed in the friendlies that uh, it would be Dembele. Assuming yeah. a more or less Nabi Cater role of, you know, dropping deeper, sometimes next to Weigl. Basically also what Kagawa did in the second half against Werder Bremen, where his game improved and, and Dortmund's game all, all together, you know, offensively at least that he drops next to Weigl and gives a little bit more assistance. And then, you know, with that fluidity saying that one uh, of the attacking midfielders drops a bit deeper and, and then goes forward, for example, that, uh, you were uh, more or less, uh, create options in midfield 
and uh, yeah, have dif- different passing lanes for once. So uh, the opposition doesn't always have to say, defend the same scheme, so to speak. Um, Matthias, how did you see Rafael Guerrero? Because my girlfriend was not impressed. <laughs> he had one really nice turn. Um, oh, I, I think he did okay. I, I don't really think anybody covered themselves in glory in that match, even though I thought Schuler actually played quite well. Um, Guerrero, you know, I mean, he had, he, he was injured for a while and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give him a little bit more time. He, he wasn't great. He wasn't horrible. He was just kind of about as average as everybody else was. Guerrero hasn't played regular football since September. Yeah. He played he played on the 1st of October and the 29th of October. I just looked it up. Um, and then he hasn't, he's played, uh, he didn't play then after the the game in Hamburg at the beginning of November. So he hasn't played since the beginning of November, but he hasn't played regularly since September. Add to that that he's coming into a team which firstly relies on him way too much. Secondly, in a position he isn't natural. Well, he is natural, but he isn't have years of experience behind him in that position. And thirdly, surrounded by other players who are out of form and the situation does not exactly lend itself to him. So I I thought he played pretty well in the certainly in the first half. I think Matthias the the turn he's referring to was really, really nice and nearly put Aubameyang straight through on goal and just overhit the pass. Um like it's just gonna take some time. It takes some time anyway to come back from such a long break, but when the rest of the team isn't playing well and then you're playing in a position that you've not played for more than ten times in your career, then um you know, I think we're just gonna have to have some patience with him and see what he delivers when everyone else is firing a little bit more. This weekend will be interesting if he's able to play. Yeah, because he was uh, on Wednesday at least in in running training. I don't know how it was today on on Thursday or will be on Friday whether he will make it to team training again or or already has made it and whether he will be available. So as for now, to me, he is doubtful for this match. Um, I I have a question here from Steve Berkowitz, and he said that a lot of uh, things are being made uh, about Borussia Dortmund's youth. And uh, that a lot of votes are blamed on that, but uh, there are players who are 26, 27, 29 in the squad and so on. Matthias, um, is it really just Dortmund's youth that, that needs to be blamed here? Because I agree with Steve so far that, that I've often heard also coming out from Dortmund that, uh, you know, the, the youth obviously is a big factor, but, you know, shouldn't be the overwhelming factor, right? It's not the overwhelming factor. I mean, give it a couple of seasons and then we'll see where the criticism is. Um, I mean, we also can't forget that this weekend, Marcel Reif once again said one of the dumbest things ever coming out of his mouth, uh, calling the way Dortmund plays is Kinderfußball, children's football. So he can, you know, take a flying leap for all I care. Um, he's an idiot. And, and Thomas Helmer, of course, backed him because Thomas <laughs> Helmer, at the end of the day, aside from being an idiot, is also a traitor to Borussia Dortmund. So having gotten all that off my chest, <laughs> mini rant done. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait for the Leipzig segment, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, of course, there are, there's a learning curve when you have 
a younger squad. And we can't forget the first, you know, season, maybe not the first season, but the second season at the latest with Klopp. He also had a very young squad. And it took a good year or two for them to properly gel. And then we won back-to-back Bundesliga titles and a double and then made it to the Champions League final. So we're already ahead of where we were then in this developmental cycle with predominantly young players, but it isn't just young players. I mean, uh, Castro isn't a young player. Socrates isn't a young player. Schmelza, Piszczek, Bürki, um, all of these guys played. Schürrle, Götze, they're not kids. Um, Obama Young, I think I almost named, aside from Götze, the entire starting lineup. Uh, <laughs> yeah, almost. Royce. <laughs> yeah, Royce, uh, Ginta, and so on. I haven't mentioned a single teenager there. You know, and, and they're talking about, well, you know, Guerrero is also one of the really young ones. Well, not by comparison. You know, if you look at Moa, now Isak, Dembele, uh, Pulisic, yeah, those are teenagers, barely still at this point, but they are teenagers. But that's four guys, you know, I mean, out of a, a significantly larger squad. So I think it's being, once again, blown completely out of proportion. Uh, the issue isn't youth. Yeah, we added a lot of young players because we want long-term de- squad depth, potential for development and growth, and to be able, because they're going to leave, uh, sell them for a significant profit. So it makes sense. So I don't buy into the Kinderfußball uh, youth problem that it likes to be turned into. I think that's complete bullshit. All right, then I have another question here. Um, Louis, I will direct this to you. And uh, <laughs> is Thomas Tuchel exercising uh, blatant favoritism playing Gonzalo Castro again? <laughs> um, this this feels like I mean not just exclusively to Dortmund, but then obviously we we more open to to seeing it with Dortmund. It feels like you know that that often becomes an argument when managers pick players that we don't think they should pick or they don't pick players that we think they should pick. Uh, I I don't think so. I just think that there are other reasons to pick Castro. I, I think he's not quite clearly been playing very well and I wouldn't have picked him at the weekend. But then we saw Piszczek. I, I think almost all of us um, at the Yellow Wall Pod would have expected Goetze to play with Guerrero back in midfield. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, and probably all of us would have chosen that ourselves. But then as Dortmund tried to vary the build-up and protect themselves from counter-attacks and Piszczek was stationed very high and wide on the right flank, Castro almost sort of dropped into to right-back or the half-space that you would expect a right-back to be in when we were in the final third or building play in the halfway line to protect ourselves from counters as well. It's not really a role that you could see Goetze doing. That was particularly in the first half. Castro played like that. Um, yeah, and, and this is also how he intercepted uh, the ball you know, that led to Dortmund's goal. Yes, exactly. Um, so well done, Thomas Tuchel, for playing Gonzalo Castro. I, but I, really, um, sort of seriously, I think Castro is 
not playing to the best of his abilities. On the other side, Guerrero was back, and we've seen Castro's best football for Dortmund has come when there's been in the the four three three, if you want to call it that. There's been Weigl, and then another kind of a more defensive player, not two number tens. Castro has been much worse when he's played with Götze, usually if if Götze has been advanced, or when he's played with Kagawa. Last season, he was pretty good as the sort of eight ten hybrid with Gundogan on the other side, and then. When Goetze has played a bit more reserved, Castro has been pretty good. And I think that was probably another reason that I can understand why he was picked next to Weigl and Guerrero, is you'd expect him to have a bit more license to go forward. I guess that wasn't the case with almost three strikers playing in the game. So three very offensive players and no real playmaker in the front three, which is why you would expect a bit more of Castro and why you really probably would lean towards playing Goetze. But Castro, you know, if it, this is halfway through the season. We have the Champions League, we have the DFB Pokal, we're going back to English Wochen now. So Mario Götze, Julian Weigl, Rafael Guerrero can't play every single game. And Chinchicago can't play every single game. And Dembele will be needed wide and Pulisic will play out wide. So Castro will have to play some matches and... If he doesn't play for two months now, and then Goetze and Carrera are both injured, and Castro suddenly has to play against Bayern or Schalke, and he's awful, we'll all say it's because he hasn't played for two months. You you need to rotate, you need to keep players in some sort of rhythm, and when they're not in a rhythm at all, and you have a really busy period coming up, I do think it also makes sense to pick someone who isn't in form to try and help them find some form, because otherwise you might be forced to pick them later down the line and you might not know if you can trust them and the confidence is completely gone all right with that i think we can segue into the leipzig segment and matthias uh do you think castro will play against leipzig and uh, if gets a place uh you know from the argument lewis just make will he have even confidence after sitting on the bench for two games more or less um, I, I think, uh, Götze is professional enough that he'll be okay with it. Um, I think, um, I, I personally would not play Castro against Leipzig. Uh, I would, I would, you know, for, for a few Pressing reasons. resistance might be the key. I d I d yeah, yeah, I don't think, I yeah. don't think you're going to get many arguments. No, no. And, and yeah, pressing resistance being the biggest issue. Um, so, Yeah, I, I I would rather not see Castable on on Sunday or late Saturday, not Sunday. Late late Saturday, late Saturday yeah, yeah, not not quite Sunday yet. <laughs> um, Leipzig, of course, second in second place, eleven points ahead of Dortmund. Uh, I don't even know when they lost their last game. I think against Bayern Munich, the three 0 drubbing it was, and then uh, they also lost one 0 against Ingolstadt. Um, so yeah, that that was of course before the turn of the year. They are now defeated both. What was it? Uh, Frankfurt on match day seventeen, a three 0 win, and then on uh, a very interesting game, I found the two uh, one win over Hoffenheim, uh, where Sandro Wagner got sent off at some point, and I, then I think Leipzig won the game. But I would make the argument that Leipzig was the better side overall in this game even uh, against 11 Hoffenheim players and uh, it was a very interesting match because Hoffenheim were also very good and they scored a very beautiful counter-attacking goal um, I don't know if Dortmund would be capable of the same um, 
<laughs> going by their counterattacking uh, swagger right now, I would rather say no. Um, some team news ahead. Obviously, Leipzig will be with without uh, Emil Forsberg because of his sending off against Bayern Munich. I don't remember who he kicked or fault, but uh, that was a three-match ban. And uh, thus he is still out. And um, Timo Werner also missing this game because of flu, I presume. Um, Lewis, how big of a blow is that that uh, both team, Timo Werner and Emil Forsberg, basically the top scorer and the top assist giver, not being a part of it? Yeah, for Leipzig is a, a big problem. Um, well, problem. It's a big loss. Uh, Emil Forsberg has probably been one of the outstanding players in the entire Bundesliga so far this season so without him we'll see what they do at the weekend they played with uh, Naby Keita in a more advanced position than he's played most of this season so far so I think maybe we can imagine they'll do that again and Timo Werner has been one of the outstanding strikers in the Bundesliga so far his pace on the counter-attack his decision-making and his movement has been excellent. It's caused huge problems for pretty much every team in the league. I think he's scored 11 goals now after the goal of the weekend. So, yeah, it's it's really, really big for Dortmund that they won't have to cope with that, especially if we have Piszczek and, uh, and Schmerzer at fullback again. Two fantastic players, obviously, but two players not blessed with pace and with Werner drifting into the channels, it would cause quite some issues, I think, against the pair of them. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's a big boost. Davis Zelka will probably play instead with, with Poulsen up front if they don't do something drastic and change the formation. And But I think ultimately, even though... I, I, Individual quality is a big thing, and it's an even bigger thing in the big games when the teams are close to each other. But with even without Werner and without Forsberg, Leipzig's star player is the system that we saw it in the Hinrunde so early in the season. They made Dortmund feel really, really uneasy. And if they manage to do the same again, then regardless of which eleven they put out, we're in for a very long afternoon. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, ask Matthias about that because Dortmund struggled uh, against teams that played pressing. Uh, you know, also the game against Leverkusen didn't look too pretty for Dortmund. Um, Leipzig, obviously, the front runners right now with that system. Um, Matthias, do you think being this a home match for Dortmund, and I think Dortmund have a 30 match unbeaten streak or 34, something around that, uh, do you think Dortmund are the favorites going into this game? I would still say they'd have to be. I mean, uh, take league pos league table position out of it. Uh, given that it's at home, given that the individual quality of Dortmund squad is is greater than that of Leipzig, and given the aforementioned losses to the Leipzig squad ahead of this match, I think Dortmund uh, are definitely the favorites. I don't know. I'm not too. I'm not too sure about it because uh, Tuchel talked a lot about the uh, wave Leipzig and other teams, especially in the league, are currently riding on because they are playing below expectations. While uh, the expectations seem to weigh on Dortmund, and uh, the the mood in the team isn't maybe as high as it could be in, in Dortmund. And Lewis, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, Dortmund doesn't seem to be 
on their highest confidence levels. Meanwhile, Leipzig probably are just after beating Hoffenheim, who were, yeah, lost their unbeaten streak of the season. So would, would you agree with Matthias that uh, Dortmund are definite favorites or rather side with me because I think it's Leipzig who, uh, for me, are slightly, just ever so slightly favored in this game? The way things are going at the moment, then I would... I will, it, it would be so tight, but I would probably have to put Leipzig as the, the slight favourites, um, ever so slightly. I think particularly not because not just because of the two teams' form or the league table, but as we have seen Dortmund struggling with pressing this season, um, something that Leipzig are well absolutely expert at. It's the whole foundation of their game. So I think that, yeah... Because of that, I would probably have them as the very slight favourites. But then without Forsberg and Werner, it's pretty much dead even. So, yeah, you're right I'm, down I'm, in the middle. I'm so it's sitting, a 50-50 game. Yeah. yeah, well, as, as, as you can, obviously, because uh, no favourite is also an answer. Uh, Matthias, there have been a couple of, uh, we, we call them venom errors in in Germany, <laughs> gift file coming out of the Leipzig camp towards Dortmund, uh, saying that they're actually happy with picking Hasenhüttel over Tuchel, and that they have a closer relationship to Bayern Munich, yada, yada, yada. What do you make out of that? Well, I mean, the closer relationship between uh, Mateschitz and Hoeneß, I mean, it's the axis of evil, so, duh. Um, <laughs> I think I actually, Here we go. I think I actually tweeted that out few weeks ago when they developed their new arena uh, for uh, Red Bull München's hockey team and then the FC Bayern basketball team, which is woefully underperforming. It's wonderful to see. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, honestly, uh, Leipzig, yeah, I mean, they can say that kind of stuff because it's working for them right now. You know, they're a team... Uh, on pump. So, you know, as we say in Germany, I mean, we all know that's a steroid pumped club. Uh, for some reason, a lot of football supporters outside of Germany seem enamored with them because they're fighting against the establishment when in all actuality, they are the establishment because they have all this money and the know. Donald Trump of the Bundesliga, you say? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm, <laughs> that's so good. Don't be an asshole, <laughs> Stefan. Um, oh, wow. No, no, it's it's no. That would be Uli Hoeneß at times. Um, you know the, the the old white guy who just can't shut up. Um, anyway, no, they're just when they say stuff like that. Hasenhüttl was the right fit for them, just like Tochel is the right fit for Dortmund. Um, I, I think saying stuff like that now that they're performing really well, uh, speaks to their character as a, a club and which is lacking uh, in my opinion, but, uh, that's, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. Dortmund will have protests against Leipzig as uh, we would expect. Um, do you think that will motivate Leipzig even more? I mean, they, they've been protested more or less all season, do you think that gives them the uh, sense of us against them? And, and no, no professional, no, no professional footballers don't give a shit. You know, they have no, no emotional connection to Leipzig. They're there to get a paycheck, play well, and then move on. 
to a bigger, proper, real football club. They don't care Bayern. about that. <laughs> like Bayern or Chelsea or Real Madrid or, you know, uh, not Leipzig. No, they don't care. Is that something that could motivate um, some of the Dortmund players if it were reversed? Absolutely. Because there's more of an emotional connection to a real fan base in a real own club stadium from a real football team. So, no, I don't think that motivates them one bit. It motivates Ralf Rangnick, but I don't think it motivates the players. I, I think I think it can be... I don't think the players care if Leipzig, the, the institution, if we should call them that, um, are threatened. But I think they could... You can take some drive from knowing that nobody else wants you to win. And that's not... The, the club's success, but as just as an individual, your your Navigator, Timo Werner, or Ilzanka, or Sabitza, whatever, and you know that people do not want you to win. Um, I think you can take some motivation from that, but I don't think Dortmund doing something this weekend will give them anything extra that they've not had all season anyway. All right. Um, yeah, how do you actually think Dortmund will approach this game, Lewis? Will we see a back three, a back five? Do we see a four-two-three-one to holding midfielders? Do you? Do we see a four-three-three? What do you think Tuchel will pull out of the back to, uh, yeah, counter? Let's say. Uh, yeah, I've actually depressing. done done kind of a, a miniature preview of five of the biggest games for one football for the weekend, and um, and I said there that for the for this game that Dortmund should play with the back five that. And I think, I think Tuchel will. He tends to revert to the back five over the last year and a half. When well, back three slash five, it's all situational. Um, whenever Dortmund, even at home, that, that doesn't phase him. That Dortmund are playing at home when he really needs defensive solidity, but also wants to maintain a threat. We've seen it in games against Bayern. We saw it in the Europa League knockout phase, and also last season in more what you would call straightforward matches where Dortmund were the favourite against teams still not posing as much of a threat but playing with the back five to ensure there was a bit more security at the back. I would be pretty surprised if having lost uh, lost two points sorry, uh, against Mainz last weekend, I think it's probably now this game. Dortmund aren't going to catch Bayern or Leipzig. It's very unlikely. Uh, to catch Leipzig, you're certainly not going to catch Bayern. I think this game, for the mood around the club, it w is more important not to lose than to win. And I think it would be wise this weekend to prioritise defensive solidity in a clean sheet. And that doesn't mean you can't have a threat going forward. We we have Aubameyang, we have Schürrle and Royce, Dembele, whatever. We played a back five against Bayern. We were fantastic. Mario Götze is one of the midfielders and Andre Schuller is basically a central midfielder and posed a massive threat on the break. So I would hope we do the same again. Leipzig have kind of struggled against the back five this season as well. Hoffenheim gave them a really, really good game when it was 10, uh, 11 v 11 at the weekend. Ingolstadt beat, uh, played a back five when they beat them. So I would hope that we would go with that. It could help us play around the, them clogging in the middle of the park as well, rather than us trying to play cent three central midfielders against their four central kind of midfield players. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lost cause to try and battle them in the middle there. Not 
to let them force us wide, but not be so reluctant to make the pitch as big as possible and use the flanks a bit more for combinations in the half spaces in particular. So I would hope Dortmund would do that either with, with one or two strikers. I think that's flexible either way, but I would hope for three centre-backs with Bartra called back into the team. Yeah, Matthias, uh, how, how do you think Dortmund will build up from the back? Because we have seen in many games now that Lukas Piszczek is absolutely horrible when he is pressed and unless he moves to the inside uh, it's it's a lost cause and uh, I think in the reverse fixture it was Sebastian Rode often dropping back to the to the right back position more or less yep. um, to help that but it didn't really work out at all so um, Matthias do you think uh, Dortmund will use as they did against Mainz a couple more long balls or do they Opt for diagonal balls, maybe from from Socrates to Piszczek or something like that, and then cut to the inside into the half space. Or how do you think Dortmund will or should build up the game? Well, if Leipzig play the way they have been playing, uh, I do think faster transitions to get past their first line of press is the intelligent option. So whether that's a longer ball or a, like you said, a longer diagonal ball to a winger that tucks further inside to give you numerical advantage centrally, where Leipzig on occasion can be outnumbered, I think that's what you're looking at. If you're if you do the standard playing at the back like we did against Mainz, Leipzig will just crush us. Is my personal opinion. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, that's that then. That's how easy it is. <laughs> yeah. Bam. So, Agreed. So Good. Boom. <laughs> All right. So um, it's time to pick the lineup, <laughs> Lewis. Pick the lineup. Um, uh, well, I can't believe such responsibility has fallen on my shoulders. Uh, well, Burke Come on. I, I, I wrote right, an yeah. article before the Mines game <laughs> written. I think I, I said trying to guess Tuchel's lineup, and uh, I was wrong in a spectacular way. So... <laughs> Why don't you share the honor with me this time? <laughs> I will. I, I'm now going to essentially rule out all of these players from contention by picking them in my 11. Um, I would <laughs> I would hope for a back five, like I said already, uh, with Buki and then Patra. In the back five? <laughs> yeah. Patra, yeah. uh, Ginter and Socrates. Personally, I would play Paslak, but I would suspect Durm if we're going to play that with that way. Um, and Schmelzer on the left, Weigel, Götze, and Guerrero, or Dembele if Guerrero isn't fit, and then oh, Schürrle and Aubameyang. I I think Schürrle has been signed for games like this, really, for counter-attacking, for decision-making. Then, you know, that leaves up Michael Royce. So maybe maybe Schürrle in a, a kind of midfield strata again, like against Bayern and Royce with Aubameyang taking Adrian Ramos's place. Yeah, maybe. I I can't wait for the for the dramatic headlines after the lineup comes out of uh, which prominent <laughs> player is omitted this well, time. Well, yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't matter which one's omitted. There will definitely be a headline. That's the the glory for for build and kicker when we have more than eleven players who you would consider very good, and there's always going to be one of them left out. Yeah, never seems to be a topic when it's Bayern. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, this how it is how it is. Um, 
big dramatic headline coming out of the Yellow Wallpot right now is uh, Louis Ambrose completely omitted Shinji Kagawa, completely left unmentioned. For good reason. Would would he be in your 11? I think... No. No, no not against a high-pressed team. Absolutely not. You may as, may as well give them the ball. Yeah, we always say that Kagawa, from his profile and all, should be pressing resistant, but every time he plays against a pressing opposition, we always see that he is he not was, exactly. He, he was a victim of me opting for five at the back. I'm sorry, Shinji. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like Götze was a victim because Schroeder needed two out-and-out wingers. <laughs> I see which excuse lane you're going down, Mr. Ambrose. So, uh, Matthias, uh, would you agree with Lewis's lineup suggestion or do you have a different plan? Uh, I would agree with his B variation where he puts Schroeder in the midfield strata and Royce further up top. Uh, I think that benefits those two players' abilities more. All right, and with that, we can actually move on to the predictions because I also agree with that. Number B variation, if you want. So, um, <laughs> Matthias, please be correct this time and uh, predict the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say Dortmund are going to win a dramatic 2-1. All right, after the dramatic housewife tip, what it's going to be from Mr. Ambrose? Uh, one apiece. All right, I'm going for the uh, Luca Gill kind of predictions. I will say 2-1 to Leipzig. And Luca, Luca would have us in the relegation zone by the end of Saturday evening, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it's a reverse jinx, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we also have to talk about the... Uh, Ever so important cup match, which will be on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Wednesday it's, evening. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Dortmund, another home match against Hertha Berlin. The first home match this season in the Bundesliga was one apiece. So that was a draw, but obviously can't happen in a cup game. Uh, in the end, there will be a winner. Mat Matthias, um, in what kind of form do you see Hertha right now? Do you think they can... Uh, continue what they've uh, built up in the Hinrunde? Um, I think Hertha are an uncomfortable side to play against, but I, I don't really see them prioritizing the cup because uh, they don't really see them as having a chance in hell of winning it. I think they want to have a good season, finish as high up in the table as possible. Um, that's why I believe Dortmund may even have a pretty comfortable um, victory against them. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Lewis? Do you think the victory of Dortmund against Hertha will be comfortable? I cannot remember the last time we had a comfortable Rukwanda Cup victory. Um, so, no. I think the, 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 the semi-final against Hertha Berlin, which Dortmund won 3-0, mm -hmm. looked pretty comfortable, if I'm not mistaken. That was Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, I, so we're talking about the last game before the final last year. So, yeah, I've improved. But that was only because wrong. Berlin poop their pants <laughs> big time uh, yeah i mean i think i i hope we see some kind of rotated team with man, a lot of big games coming up now every league game is big in the position that we're in the champions league kicks back in the following midweek against benfica away from home so especially coming off the back of a game against leipzig i think we're gonna have to shuffle the pack a bit and it could mean is chances. it Mikel merino time Well, I, that's that's what I was going into. Mikel Marino, who 
played a fantastic 45 minutes after an iffy half debut against Hertha in that league fixture. It was then superb for the second half after the break. It's, you know, just one of the many reasons we're all baffled that he hasn't been given a bit more of a chance. But so be it. Hopefully, Marino, maybe we would even see Paslak or Brun Larsen, like in the, the game against Union. And hopefully, we can take some confidence from, if not the result, then at the very least the performance against Leipzig and assert our game again against Hertha. It feels like at the moment the players aren't expressing themselves and aren't really playing the game that you would say belongs to them because their inhibitions, the results, are just playing on their minds too much. A good result, a good performance on Saturday and then against Hertha hopefully sort of frees their minds a bit. Yeah, and we, we also maybe have to consider for both Leipzig and Berlin that there was so far this season a huge de decrepancy between away and home games and we haven't seen Dortmund play home yet. So maybe that plays a part, maybe not. We we, we can say for sure. Um, we can also not say who will be fit after the game against Leipzig, <laughs> which is why I usually don't like to preview those games but i will just not have the time to uh, produce a podcast before or between leipzig and hertha so here we are now um matthias is this a game you're looking forward to cup game at home against hertha berlin always like cup games at home under the lights in the westfalen stadion how can you not i mean they're they're always fun they're always exciting Uh, I significantly prefer them over meaningless international friendlies or preseason tours of Asia. Um, this is, uh, no, I, I like the DFB Pokai. My first big memory as a Dortmund supporter of Dortmund having success was winning the damn thing back in 1989. So, um, how can you, how can you not like the DFB Pokai if you are a Dortmund supporter? Yeah, we want to win the damn thing is also something Marcel Schmelzer said because I think the communication in the last three or four years was that Dortmund want to reach the final of the cup. And guess what? That's just what they did. Uh, but they never won it. And I think they have a giant chip on their shoulders in the size of the DFB Pokal probably. And uh, I think this is the year where they will try to go all the way <laughs> once again. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I think Dortmund will not neglect the cup, even though there are two competitions that are very important or equally important. But I don't, I don't think uh, there will be. I don't want to say B team, but I don't don't think there will be a team that will play with less emphasis or less urgency. I think Dortmund will uh, take this home match very seriously against Berlin and will definitely try to win it. Not really thinking about the game that comes afterwards, which, which I think is a way to Darmstadt, right? Yeah, great. That's always fun. Uh, yeah. But I mean, if you look at the bench from the last two matches, then you have Kagawa, Götze, Guerrero, Dembele, um, what, Bartra, Paslak not making the bench. So if you, you don't want to call it a B team, but Dortmund have relatively few injuries compared to usual right now and Tuchel can easily field six seven players different to what he uses against Darmstadt or against Leipzig so the team he's not fielding a B team or 
not prioritising the cup, but could still field a really, really strong side of players who were a bit fresher. Matthias, do you think that Roman Weidenfeller will be back in goal? Because, uh, you know, it was was communicated before the season that this would obviously be his competition. But then again, Roman Berkey just returned and uh, there's an argument for giving him as much playing time as he can gather up so he can go go back or get back to form. I'll just stay on the fence and say, I just really hope Roman has a good game. All right. <laughs> Louis, uh, are you ready to jump off the fence? Um, I would play Berkey, but... I don't expect him to play, especially with reports that Weidenfeller is going to be approached soon about extending his contract another year. Yeah, that's another fun conversation for another week. Uh, I will, I will actually, I would actually play Weidenfeller just to keep the old guy happy because I think Berkey will be fine if he sits that one out. To be honest, I think but. I think he'll be fine. I don't think Berkey needs to play like three games in a week. Uh, straight away to to get back to peak condition, but with in mind that the cup is our best chance of winning something, and we've come so close in the last few years, I would rather play Bookie than than Weidenfeller. I think if you know if we rest guys in other positions or give players a chance in other positions, then I don't think the the difference in level is as notable as it is if. Weidenfeller replaces Berkey. All right, that doesn't really sound like you have a lot of confidence in Mr. Weidenfeller. I I don't think he's completely horrible, but he's not he's not the goal cleaver he was even two years ago. Yeah, well, that is that is true. Um, yeah, with with that, um, Matthias predictions again. I'm gonna go three nil. Okay, Lewis. Uh, yeah, three one for Dortmund. All right, that's also my prediction. And uh, before I let you go, Matthias, um, Bayern will play against Schalke also on on a Saturday <laughs> now in in the league. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say that they will plummet further down the table? Yes. All right. Just just wanted to to hear about that. Also, uh, you know, while I have <laughs> you here, uh, you know, maybe maybe we we take a general take on the Bundesliga because as you said at the very beginning like hours ago <laughs> of this podcast <laughs> that, that Freiburg uh, you know have a really great season and you named a couple of teams that didn't really uh, you know are overachieving right now but you did not mention Bayer Leverkusen how, who are only in ninth and just bottled it again against uh, Gladbach although I think Leverkusen actually looked quite good Is there a team like Leverkusen right now, or, or is Leverkusen right now capable, in your opinion, to run the table, or do you think they will, uh, yeah, be stuck there somewhere in midfield? I think they'll, you know, we always talk about the Nagelsmann tabelle. We're going to have the uh, Schmidt tabelle again uh, in the last, oh, probably third of the season. They're going to kick into form because they've been kicked out of every competition. And, um, even though uh, they will not have uh, Chalanolu. I uh, saw that he's out for the rest of the season due to FIFA whatever sanctions. So that is actually a big blow for them. Um, but I think they'll get into Europe. It'll be Europa League. I do not see Champions League at all in their future. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question on match day 18, Lewis. Who do you think will actually make the top four? Um, Bayern, Leipzig, Dortmund, and <sighs> Hoffenheim. 
Interesting. Do you, <laughs> you know, if Hoffenheim go through, do you think they will manage to, uh, you know, make it to the to the group stages of the Champions League? <laughs> no, we're getting really hypothetical. Um, I don't. I have of no course. idea. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea what the manage, what the who the coach will be next year, or what the manager. They will be will without do. Rudi and Zule. We already know that. Yeah, and we have no idea how they'll replace them or what else they might do in the transfer market. So. And no, I just wanted to to, to I, know, I know whether or, you have confidence or, in in a fourth you know. place team making the Champions League in the Bundesliga um, right now. In the usually I would, but Hoffenheim, like you just said, losing two key players already with a coach barely out of school, um, <laughs> or, you know, very little experience. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, and for all we know, right now they could they could go through and draw mm. Napoli or something. So. Yeah, Probably. they will definitely P possibly not be in the seeded teams, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think they get seeded just by virtue of um, being a Bundesliga side. Uh, so, is this the last year that the Bundesliga teams will have to even play a playoff? I think. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but I think. Yeah, so they might be the last ones. Who I've heard is that Hoffenheim or Hertha. Frankfurt or Dortmund Cone. maybe Cone. maybe Dortmund yeah Köln or it might be us um, we'll see we'll see whoever is there <laughs> I'll predict but it won't be Schalke no definitely not I'll, I'll be willing to predict if they win their playoff or not when it's August wow <laughs> okay <laughs> then then we'll all be willing but uh, yeah for, for now I think we've we've talked enough <laughs> yeah since I have to edit the whole damn thing here and there's just so much background noise here being in Philadelphia, it's uh, unbearing. So, um, yeah, Matthias, please tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. All right. Uh, Louis, if there is a sudden need for hate mail, where can people direct it? <laughs> I don't know. It's sudden need or a non-sudden need for hate mail uh, at LG Ambrose. Yeah, we, we actually do not never ever get hate mail, I think. Not anymore. Do we get any mail? Yeah, All right. do. That's okay. No, that's, that's not, okay. Not, I was not, just not, wondering. Not you know. physical mail, but like electronically. You yeah, know, no, people I was just, reach you know, out. just like, you know, you could very positively spin not getting any mail by saying we don't get hate mail, but that's why I just <laughs> wanted to check. No, we, we do. And uh, we are very thankful uh, to our listeners to reach out. Although, you know, with every show, there's the huge silent minority that listens rather than, uh, you know, approach us. But uh, that is fine if you have a sudden change of heart and think you have to write us a long text or question or whatever. Uh, you can do that by approaching the show at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter or Facebook, Yellow Wallpot or uh, yellowwallpot.com and use the contact form if you want to lash out on the stupid host of this show. You can do that at Stefan Butzko. And uh, with that, you can also find my written content on ESPN. Um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much all there's only left to say. You can find the show, of course, on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher and probably any other podcatchers. So with that, that was episode 171. Goodbye until next week.